Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This is the Wicked Library. Hello, and welcome to episode six of The Darkness In Between, our interseasonal entertainment while we're hard at work on season 11 of the Wicked Library. Season 11 is shaping up to be a great season so far. We have most of the stories in and in editing at this time. Some really great authors and some really great stories. You're going to love it. I also want to take a moment to thank all of you who are supporting the show. Without your support, we would not be able to make this show. It's truly you that makes this show possible. If you're not already supporting the show and you'd like to do that, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Again, it's really the support of our listeners that helps make the show possible. Without you, we wouldn't be able to pay the authors, keep up our website costs, all the other things that go into making a show for everybody to enjoy. Those who do support the show get access to extra content ad-free at higher bit rates and also get to hear our bonus stories and the private collector series before anyone else. If you'd like to support the show and get access to that extra content, you can go to patreon.com forward slash wicked library today. Now, without further ado, we'll move into today's episode of The Darkness in Between. Today's episode is entitled The Genius, written by Christina Noel and told by the multi-talented Nelson Piles. If this is your first visit to the Wicked Library, it's important for you to know that this is a horror fiction podcast. That means the stories you hear contain adult themes, are deliberately designed to be scary, disturbing, frightening, and may make you uncomfortable. If you're not up for that sort of thing, Probably not the best show to listen to. The Genius by Christina Noel So you see, it's a very organic process for me. David smiled widely. Very natural. The sea of champagne-soaked dilettantes surrounding him nodded their approval. They had descended on the gallery, checkbooks in hand, prepared to pay whatever obscene amount was demanded of them for the privilege of owning yet another piece of art they didn't understand. Annie watched with smug satisfaction. We have buyers lined up for the majority of the work you see here, she told them. But I am pleased to announce that David has agreed to give us exclusive rights to his next collection. This revelation was met with a burst of staccato applause. A collection which is already in progress, David added. I'm hoping to have it gallery ready by summer. That fast? A reporter asked, surprised. You must not sleep. David laughed. I actually do tend to do my best work between midnight and sunrise. And you're working where? The reporter pulled a pen and miniature spiral notebook from his breast pocket. Brooklyn, Annie interjected. We've told David he's welcome to use our facilities, but... We can't seem to lure him away from that hole in the wall he loves so much. <laughs> what can I say, David laughed. I'm a provincial creature at heart. Opposite David, a man with white, horn-rimmed glasses stood gaping up at the nearest painting the way a fly might consider the moon. He cleared his throat theatrically, and the crowd hushed. When Randall Theobald spoke, people listened. Very impressive. People are saying, well, he smiled coolly, I'm sure I don't have to tell you. It was true. David knew exactly what people were saying. He'd saved every press clipping, every glowing review. The press had dubbed him 
enlightened, inspired, a genius. Randall spoke slowly, selecting his words with surgical precision. But forgive me. I can't help but wonder if you're at all concerned by your overnight success. David frowned. Pardon me? It can be difficult, shouldering the weight of such high praise so early in your career. I would know. How old are you? Thirty? Twenty-nine, David muttered. Randall plucked a champagne flute off a passing tray as he spoke, nonchalant in his cruelty. You've achieved something remarkable, a true lightning strike of creativity, but you know what they say about lightning. A few bystanders laughed uncomfortably. David's well-rehearsed smile faltered. I'm exceptionally proud of this collection. Of course you are, Randall crowed. I'm merely suggesting that it's possible, perhaps even likely, that everything you do for the rest of your career will pale in comparison, that your best work is now behind you, and you'll spend the remainder of your professional life chasing your own tail. Speaking of your best work being behind you, Annie interrupted. How long has it been since your last collection, Randall? Four years? Five? Three. Randall turned and took aim. I'm surprised you've forgotten, Annie. It was right around the time that Julius left you for his administrative assistant. What a pity that you lost your old space to him in the settlement. That was remarkable space. Much more light than you have here. Satisfied with the mortified look on Annie's face, Randall turned his attention again to David. It's still possible you'll manage to surpass yourself somehow, but if I were you, I would find this sort of universal acclaim utterly terrifying. David pursed his lips. Well, I'm happy to report that I have a great deal of confidence in my new pieces. So do I, Annie added sullenly. Randall arched an eyebrow at her. Have you seen them? I don't generally allow previews of works in progress, David said. Of course not, Randall sighed. Heaven forbid some plebeian criticisms distort your artistic vision. David grit his teeth. If I didn't know better, Randall, I'd think you were angling to get a look at my work before it's finished. Randall sipped his champagne, smirking. That doesn't sound like me at all. Someone snickered. David flushed. He could feel the room turning against him. If you're curious, why don't you come by tomorrow? David spoke quickly, embarrassment fueling his tongue. I'll give you the grand tour. David? Annie stepped toward him. Are you sure you want to do that? He wasn't. No sooner had the words left his mouth than David desperately wanted to take them back. But it was too late now. Everyone was watching. Absolutely. If Randall is in need of a little inspiration, I'm happy to help. Then I insist on coming as well, Annie said. The more the merrier, I'm sure. Randall smiled predatorily. What's the address? Hours later, ensconced in his loft, David paced frantically. 
What the hell had he been thinking? He couldn't have Randall Theobald in his studio. And Annie? Jesus, how could he have been so stupid? There was work to show them. Plenty of it, in fact. His studio was an embarrassment of riches. That wasn't the problem. David stopped, looking around as if for a way out. The loft was spartan by design, a long rectangular space with floor-to-ceiling windows facing the street, an empty coffin-sized closet, a bare mattress on the floor. At the far end of the room, a narrow, spiral stairwell led down to his studio. That was where he'd have to go. Resigned, David pulled a book of matches from his pocket and went below. The studio matched the loft in dimensions, the same long rectangular room and tall windows, but that was where the similarities ended. Unlike the loft, David's studio was crammed almost to bursting. Paintings, sculptures, and small-scale multimedia installations occupied every inch of available space. Every wall was covered. Every wall except one. Beside the stairwell, resting against a wall of exposed brick on an inconspicuous wooden workbench, a ceramic offertory bowl, unremarkable except for its obvious age, rested beside an assortment of clean paintbrushes. With the exception of these brushes and a few blank canvases stacked nearby, there were no supplies in the studio whatsoever. No paint, no palettes, no charcoals, no sketchbooks. Nothing. The lack of supplies would probably elicit some uncomfortable questions from Randall and Annie. But that wasn't the problem either. The problem was the room itself and what it contained. The studio was alive, humming with a ferocious energy. It was tangible, a smell, a vibration. David found it difficult to remain in the studio for long periods of time without becoming ill. He had begun developing migraines and nosebleeds. His hair had started to prematurely gray, and he'd lost a considerable amount of weight. It wasn't only David that felt the studio's effects. His neighbor had kept flowers on her stoop for ages, big pots of brightly colored healthy blooms. They died overnight. She was convinced someone had poisoned them. She was almost right. To contain the energy of the space and guard against prying eyes, David first painted over the windows, then installed blackout curtains. Light bulbs would explode in the studio, and so David worked by candlelight. It was the best he could manage. He struck a match. It sprang to life with a pop of sulfur. He made his way around the room, lighting candles until the studio was encircled by a halo of orange light. Then he came to stop in front of the workbench and spit into the bowl. We need to talk. He watched as his saliva began sizzling, as if on a hot skillet. Then it melted into the bowl and vanished. His offering had been accepted. The stillness that followed was unnatural. It was the silence of a vacuum, of infinite space. Then the bricks began to groan. Delicate ripples of motion rolled across the wall, as if it were the surface of a lake disturbed by falling stones. Clouds of dust erupted from the cracks in the masonry as the wall exhaled. The mouth became visible first, a razor-thin imperfection in the stone, opening to exposed feline teeth. 
The rest of the face followed. The long, thin nose, high cheekbones and pointed chin. The slender neck and torso, sexless groin and disproportionately long limbs. Finally, the wings, like ancient leaves of vellum riddled with starbursts of blue veins, unfurled and troubled the air. The demon hovered above the bowl, protectively. It had taken refuge among the bricks, but it was in the bowl that the demon was tied to. Wherever the bowl went, it was bound to follow. For several seconds, its body retained the color and texture of the bricks that had concealed it, chameleon-like, but gradually took on the appearance of unblemished canvas. It was the embodiment of artistic possibility. Creative potential made flesh. The genius opened its eyes. It had no pupils or irises, only shimmering, viscous pools of dark blue. It gazed down at David, incredulous. Talk. There are going to be people here in the morning. They're coming to see the work. People. The genius rolled the word around in his mouth, as if tasting it. I realize you'd prefer not to have any company, but I don't think it can be helped. I'm actually surprised it took this long for someone to... You have invited them here, the demon interrupted, sniffing the air impatiently, smelling the truth. You have thrown open the doors of a sanctuary to strangers. They aren't strangers, David squirmed. They do not trouble me with the details of your transgression. It sounded almost bored. I, I want your assurances that you won't do anything rash, David said firmly. Rash? A anything we would regret, the demon sighed. I am incapable of regret, David scowled. I want you to leave them alone. Stay hidden. I'll, I'll let them have a quick look around and I'll get rid of them. What do you say? The genius considered this. Then it inhaled sharply and growled. With a flick of its pale wrist, the demon hoisted David into the air, lifting him up so that they were eye to eye. You have failed to honor the terms of our agreement. That isn't true. David twisted and flailed, his feet kicking impotently against the air. I did everything you asked, everything just like you said. Our work has sanctified this place. It is a temple now, but you... You would permit interlopers to pollute it. A Annie owns a gallery, David tried to explain. She gives artists a place to display their work. She is a parasite, the genius intoned, profiting from the artistic vision of others, but lacking any of her own. Well, Randall has plenty of artistic vision, David exclaimed. It's been a few years since his last collection, but he's still famous in his own right. He is pretentious and self-obsessed, the genius said, effortlessly reading the truth written in David's expression. A loathsome, contemptuous creature, universally despised. David shrugged. This is New York. What do you expect? 
Disgusted, the demon dropped David to the ground. You have permitted this so-called artist to manipulate you. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, David said, dusting himself off. He identified your insecurities and used them against you. The demon shook his head in disappointment. You are emotional, impulsive, weak. David flushed, anger creeping up his spine. Not for nothing, but the guy made a couple of valid points. Such as? How am I supposed to keep topping myself over and over? How, how can anyone be expected to keep surpassing himself forever? Without struggle, there is no growth. Well, that's very zen of you, David rolled his eyes, but maybe I don't want to spend the rest of my life fighting to best myself, trying to create something more beautiful than the last beautiful thing I created. The genius almost smiled. Then, you are not an artist. David could feel his blood boiling. Bullshit, I'm a great artist. You are all arrogance, all vanity. The genius replied simply, you fail even to comprehend the subjectivity of your craft. Beauty might be in the eye of the beholder, David spat, but I only make money if the right eyes are beholding my work. Like it or not, this is still a business, and I'm going to need people like Annie and Randall in my corner. You wish to profit by your gift? <laughs> Doesn't everyone? David laughed. Am I supposed to just lock the door and spend all day, every day, painting and sculpting and drawing until my fingers bleed? Art for art's sake doesn't pay the rent, and I still have to live. You are unwilling to sacrifice for your art? I've sacrificed plenty. I've put every bodily fluid imaginable into that damn offertory of yours, haven't I? What more could I possibly give you? Van Gogh gave me an ear. <laughs> yeah, look how things ended up for him. Your arguments grow tiresome, the demon replied dismissively. All I have given you has been pearls before swine. No more. You have broken your word and dishonored our sacred work. From this day forward, I will grant you nothing else. Not one drop of my paint will wet your brush ever again. You can't do that! David stomped his foot, childlike. You need me! Before I came along, you were nothing but a whisper and a piece of clay. I made you! Made me? You? Make me? I was born before pen ever kissed paper. I am older than music. You made me? The demon drew closer to David, its long, thin arms reaching out as if to embrace him. No, you may hold the brush, but I am the painter. You did not create me. You unleashed me. The demon beat its wings with such violence that the force of their motion knocked David off his feet and extinguished every candle in the room. David's legs trembled and his chest burned. 
He lay splayed on the floor, staring up into the darkness and gasping for breath. Then, inches above his upturned face, he heard the demon whisper, You have never truly desired to be a vehicle for art, have you? The demon asked sadly. David opened his mouth to answer but couldn't. The demon was floating prone just above him. It reached down, wrapped its skeletal fingers around David's throat, and squeezed. David sputtered and gagged, fighting for breath. He was at the mercy of his genius. You have never been willing to bear your soul for the sake of your work. You have no idea what it means to sacrifice for your art, to be its willing servant. You are a servant to nothing but your own ego. You disgust me. At this, the genius let go of David's throat and in one smooth motion was upright again. David took a greedy, desperate gulp of air and tried to blink the room back into focus. He could make out the creature, pale and ghostly, floating in front of him. Now tell me, the genius demanded, what do you truly want? David answered automatically, to be an artist. Lies! What do you truly want? I want... I want to be rich. David trembled. I, I, I want to be powerful. I want, I want to be famous. The demon nodded. Go on. David could not look at his genius, couldn't bear to see his own unworthiness reflected back at him in the demon's unblinking eyes. I want people to love me. I want them to read about me in history books. I want them to study my work hundreds of years after I die. I want... Immortality? The genius spoke the word so softly, so sweetly, it might have been whispering to a lover. Yes, David said, and it was true. The demon nodded. Now, we work. Instantly, the candles around the room erupted into life. David felt the familiar rush of shimmering warmth spread through his chest, down the length of his arms into the tips of his fingers. It was inspiration. The genius was feeding him art. Elated, David scrambled to his feet and seized a paintbrush from the workbench. Then he stood, waiting for the bowl to fill itself with paint, as it had done so many times before. But true to his word, the demon provided none. David could feel the art inside of him struggling to break free, demanding to be created. It was a terrible, almost painful sensation. What, what do I do? The genius offered no reply. David was in agony. He had to paint. He had to get the work out of him. He scanned the room for something to use, but there was nothing. His materials had always been provided for him the bowl filling spontaneously with whatever he required. Please, David begged, you have to give me something to use, anything. Suddenly, the answer dawned. A sacrifice. No, 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 wait, wait, don't! It was too late. He was powerless to stop himself. 
Even as he screamed in protest, David began clawing holes in his wrists, his long fingernails mercilessly ripping into his flesh. Transfixed, David watched as his veins sprang loose, moving through the air like long purple worms emerging from their holes. Possessed by a force beyond all the rules of the natural world, David's veins began pulling themselves further and further out of his wounds, weaving and churning through the air with serpentine motion. They soon spanned the distance between their host and the blank canvases waiting at the bottom of the stairs. Selecting the largest one, coiled around its edges and began dragging it into the light. The genius gazed down, pitiless and unflinching as David's knees buckled. Even as he became pale and still, David's veins continued their macabre dance. They burst open in concert, pouring their contents into the bowl until it overflowed. They wrapped themselves around the paintbrushes and went to work. They pulled David along as they toiled, holding his arms taut, making a gruesome marionette of him as he exsanguinated. In the last fleeting moments of life, David took in the spectacle around him, the shimmering candlelight, the coppery stench of blood flooding the air, and floating angelically above him, the genius supervising the creation of a masterpiece. Annie checked her watch for the fifth time. I can't imagine where he might be. Randall leaned against the building, smoking a cigarette. Maybe he's chickened out. I'll call again, Annie replied, but it went directly to voicemail. Annie left another message, chewing her lip as she pleaded with David to call her back. I'm worried. Please let me know that you're all right. He obviously isn't all right. Randall laughed. I mean, look at this place. To call it a shithole would be an insult to shitholes. And these windows, the paint, the curtains, how does he work under these conditions? Maybe we should call someone, Annie suggested. Like who? The police? Randall groaned. Of course, call the police. They'll save us. Don't be such a tiresome cliche. Fine. Annie said indignantly. What do you suggest we do? Randall took a few steps backward and sized up the door. Then he tossed his cigarette into the street and with two explosive blows kicked it in. Annie screeched in surprise. Jesus Christ, what are you doing? She stepped toward the open doorway, but Randall threw an arm out, barring her way. Don't, he gasped, breathing through his mouth as if he might be sick. Call the police. Now you want me to call the cops. What the hell, Randall? Why don't you... I said call the fucking cops, Anne, he yelled. Now! Annie froze. What is it? What's in there? Trust me, Randall shook his head. You don't want to see this. The fuck I don't? Annie shouldered past him, tumbling over the threshold. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, Annie noticed the paintings lining the walls of the long room and the sculptures perched in each corner. They were remarkable. David had been busy that much, was obvious. Then she spotted something in the middle of the room, something that didn't make sense. It took her brain several long, agonizing seconds to catch up with her eyes. But the moment it did, Annie turned and fled, bolting down the street, screaming.
Randall stayed behind, rooted to the spot, just inside the front door, unable to look away. David was crumpled like a heap of rags on the floor. His wrists had been torn to shreds. Translucent, rubbery veins protruded from his injuries. At the far end of the room, an enormous canvas sat propped up in front of a brick wall. It was an astonishing painting, a magnum opus in brown and red. It depicted a winged creature soaring over a field of broken paintbrushes, splintered quills, and shattered bones. The image was so striking that for a moment, Randall didn't realize it had been painted in blood. He forgot all about Annie, who was outside vomiting into the gutter. He forgot about David, whose body he had to step over to approach the painting. He needed to get closer. He needed to look into the eyes of that mysterious winged beast. Behind the painting, Randall heard something rattle. Between the painting and the wall, he discovered a crude workbench with a large clay bowl resting on it. Take the bowl, a voice inside Randall's head whispered. Now, while there is no one to see, I can't. Randall whispered in reply, I, I can't just take things. This is a crime scene. Are you an artist? Yes. Then take the bowl. Take it to some hidden place and wait for me there. I will come to you. Randall looked at the winged creature in the painting again. It was impossible, incredible, and still... Randall! Annie was doubled over on the sidewalk, sobbing. The police are on their way! Randall reached out, allowing his fingertips to graze the surface of the bowl. It was surprisingly warm. The clay seemed to accept his touch, to reach for him as much as he was reaching for it. Art requires sacrifice. Randall nodded. Yes. Where there is sacrifice, genius may flourish. Genius? What are you willing to sacrifice for art? Randall slipped the offertory bowl into his coat. Everything. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Our host and producer is Daniel Foytek. That's me. Our lead editor and executive producer is Scarlett Algie. Our art director and executive producer, Jeanette Andromeda. Our resident composer and executive producer is Nico Viteze. Support for our show is provided through Patreon by our Patreon supporters at patreon.com forward slash wicked library.